Welcome to Star Warning. My name is Pachito Ojeda, and I am joined today by the MCLA Executive Director, Jack Coyne. Jack, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Pachito. Yeah, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we had a nice long call yesterday, about 40 minutes. It was only supposed to be about 15, but you know, we just got to talk in lacrosse, so that's always fun. It happens. <laughs> hey, have you been watching any of The Last Dance? You know, you're living in the Midwest now, so you... You must be familiar with the Bulls and their story. Have you watched any of The Last Dance? Uh, I actually, I I jumped in, I think, on the third and fourth ones. And then I felt like I was sort of coming in the middle of like a series. Like if you're watching a, a Netflix series or something, I felt like I was coming in halfway. So I, I think I'm just going to hold off to watch the whole thing. But it's funny because much of social media and other, you know, even ESPN.com, you go there, it's all completely you know, wall-to-wall coverage in, in sort of comments on it. So I almost feel like I did watch it just from all of the um, sort of little pieces and comments that have been going on so far. Yeah, I have not watched episode six, so I have been actively trying to stay off of social. <laughs> like, oh, man, I don't want to find out. Right. Uh, that's cool, man. How's your family holding up in this uh, quarantine life world? Uh, it's uh, It has its ups and downs. You know, the first you know week or 10 days or so, Everybody's kind of gung-ho about it. I was gung-ho about homeschooling, things like that. But it, as it's dragged on uh, with five kids buzzing around the house, it gets a little little tedious sometimes. Everybody's on top of each other. Everybody's sort of patience is uh, waning uh, with each other. And so it's trying to find methods to keep everybody sane, keep everybody sort of in different rooms. So we each have each other own sort of station. Um, you know, when we first started out, I had everybody sort of in, around the same table where they could all work together and everything like that. And that lasted about a half an hour before I had to change that uh, concept. So now they're, they're they're in each corner of the house uh, getting their stuff done. So they they have enough work from their school to keep them busy for probably half a day, and then we try to get outside or do something, move around a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, I'm ready for this to be over for sure. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I saw this great meme that uh, everyone's like, you know, you don't want to, as a parent, you don't want your kid to watch too much TV, and they're like. Well, just turn on closed captioning and boom, they're reading. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good like, point. I wish I had kids old enough to do that with. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's not the older kids that, you know, I've got a, you know, 13, between 13 and two-year-old. It's the two-year-old and my five-year-old boy that are the, the trouble because they, they ruin everything or they just distract the other three from getting their work done and then things go south from there. But we'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah, you will. You will. We, we entertained ourselves yesterday with uh, a caterpillar. <laughs> that was named. That was named Joey. Uh, I believe that he uh, suffocated in the makeshift uh, cage that was made for him, but I'm not sure. Hopefully, 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 just escaped. But <laughs> Colla- coll- collateral damage from the pandemic. No, no, we safe. Yeah. So you know, changing gears a bit, talking something a little more fun. You know, uh, you've been involved with lacrosse for a long time. You and I got to know each other through the College Lax forums. Uh, you know, that's a trip down memory lane for anyone listening to this, uh, many hours spent in front of that college lax.us, uh, website, uh, writing about politics or teams, in the MCLA or whatever you wanted. Um, I loved, I loved yours and wishes, uh, <laughs> trading of battles in the pol- politics forum. But, uh, you know, uh, you started in lacrosse as, uh, in school at the Noble and Greeno school, right? In, in high school? Correct. Yeah. Uh, school at uh, Dedham, Massachusetts. I grew up in Wellesley, Mass. Um, and yeah, I went to Nobles from nine through 12. And that's sort of when I first saw the sport. And they're, it's a very good league. They actually, they play 
college rules in that league. Uh, even back then, uh, they never played the federation rules. Um, so uh, there's some, you know, they play a lot of the PG league teams like Deerfield and some of the other ones, Taft, Tabor. Um, so, but yeah, they, they were decent. You know, at the time, St. George's was the, the top dog. I had a guy named Billy Bush who I actually went to Colby with afterwards um, and got to know him. Uh, he was an excellent lacrosse player, probably one of the best ones that went through Colby uh, to that point. Right. So you go to Noble and Greeno, see lacrosse for the first time, and then you go to Colby, uh, a NESCAC school, you know, not, not the best lacrosse team, but certainly very good um, and very competitive in the NESCAC conference. And you graduate from Colby in 94, uh, you know, and, and then you head out to WNL, right, right down the street from me. And you get involved with uh, some of their stuff. And you know, Jim Stagnino was the coach at the time. You know, tell us a little about that experience there. Uh, you know, obviously, Staggs is a legendary coach, so certainly cool to hear some of those early days with him. Yeah, no, he, he was, uh, you know, anybody who knows Jim knows he's a, he's a fun-loving guy. He likes to give people crap and everything like that. But he, he was one of the few coaches down there. You know, I was a, an intern uh, as an SID down there. And, uh, you know, he was one of the, I think the only coach, he would actually invite me over for dinner, you know, you know, maybe once a semester or something like that. But he just, he was looking out for the guys who maybe didn't have a lot of money or were sort of living hand to mouth um, as an intern. And he would, you know, it, it meant a lot. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that just because uh, a Massachusetts kid going down to Lexington, Virginia, uh, you know, in the Western part of the state, uh, it, it was it was definitely a culture shock for me. And to have somebody who just took the time, you know, on an evening to make me dinner and just shoot the breeze for a little while uh, was great. So I, I Big fan of Jim. I see him every year at the um, convention, and we we give each other some crap. But no, I've been really excited to see uh, his success along the way, pretty much at every level, because um, he he left not too long after um, I left to go to Rutgers. I don't know the exact timeline, um, but yeah, he, he was great. I'm a I'll always be a big fan of uh, a Jim, uh, and wish him the best of luck. Yeah, well, I mean, he just won a championship with the in the PLO with the Whipsnakes. Um, you know, might have had the best team, but regardless, did a nice job of bringing those guys together and getting a dub. Um, so you're at WNL, and then you, you head on over to, to Bowden. And Bowden. 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 Jeez, sorry. Uh, Bowden. And you, you get full full embracement there as an SID. You know, what was it like being an SID? Well, I was a one-man shop, and as you may or may not know, a lot of the NESCAC schools have a lot of sports. So I was a one-man shop dealing with 34 sports um, and trying to cover them as best I could. It was right at sort of the the time when the internet sort of took off. So I got there in sort of 96 um, uh, to Bowdoin. And so that was a, a big sort of transition point where people were trying to some, – some of the SIDs, sort of the old school guys, weren't really adapting very well. Um, and I tried to bring a lot of the conference stuff into the internet age where I was – you know, we were doing weekly reports and things like that. We put them on the web. That was sort of the first time that happened and it allowed the, you know, allowed a whole new audience for that. So that was an interesting point to do it. But, you know, I had to rely on a lot of student help um, and, you know, probably get some bright kids there. So they, they uh, jumped on it pretty quick and I had a lot of fun there. And, and of course, I met my wife there. Um, and so that was Bowden holds, a, even though Bowden and Colby are very big rivals, uh, uh, the experience at Bowden was fantastic. And they had a very good Tom McCabe um, was the head coach there at the time. And they were they were good. You know, they took uh, Middlebury um, 
I think to the finals of the ECAC one time before they just the year before they went to the NCAs, Middlebury sort of made their run. Uh, Bowden was right there with them. Um, it had a great lacrosse tradition. Um, and so it was, it was fun to be with that team too, because it was a bunch of good guys and they, uh, you know, they, they whipped up on Colby pretty much all the time, but it, um, it was fun watching them and I learned a lot from Tom McCabe just about the sport uh, itself, uh, along with Jim um, and then some other guys. Dave Zazaro was the head coach of Colby, uh, who went to Colorado College, and I think he's down at Rhodes now. Uh, he was, you know, I, I, he's a good friend as well. Right. That's cool. That's a, that's a really cool experience at Bowdoin. Um, you know, and, and the Nescax and those D3s at, at that time and even now are really, really good teams and they're talented. They're, probably well-oiled machines. I mean, I would imagine watching those guys play was quite a joy every, every weekend. Um, So one of of the interesting parts about that was in 94, uh, 93, 94, which is my senior year at Colby. That was the first year that the NESCAC schools were allowed to compete as team teams in the NCAAs. Um, And so, uh, so those first five years when I was at uh, Colby, my last year Colby, then when I went back to Bowdoin, that was sort of the formative years of the NESCAC sort of, getting into the NCAAs and it was sort of a slow process. And then Middlebury really started getting rolling with, with hockey, lacrosse. Um, and then Williams was also very competitive in a lot of the other sports. So it was sort of a, it was sort of a new dawn for the NESCAC at that time. And they've really, now they're, you know, one of the dominant, you, you see like national championship games of basketball being played between Amherst and Williams or Amherst and Middlebury, which is kind of crazy, but. Yeah, it's, it, that's nuts, man. I think, uh, uh, I, I had no idea that that's how that went down. That's really cool to see. And the NESCAC has basically taken over the NCAAs and D3 lacrosse. I mean, they're, I, I don't know the stat off the top of my head, but I'd have to say, aside from Salisbury and Stevenson, almost all the other champions have been NESCAC since like, you know, like 2000 or something like that. Um, but uh, anyhow, so you finish up at, at Bowdoin and you head to Iowa, which seems like a weird move. Uh, what took you there? Uh, my wife. My wife uh, is an Iowa City native, and she graduated in three years from a small school in Indiana called DePauw. Not DePaul from Chicago, but DePauw in uh, Greencastle, Indiana. And so she came out to Bowdoin. Her, uh, you know, she had a bridge year where she wanted to go out and come out east and try something new. So she came out to Bowdoin to become a trainer. I met her there. Um, then she started medical school at the University of Iowa. Um, and so I did my, we did the long distance thing. I stayed at Bowdoin until 2001. And then I uh, went to grad school, got my journalism degree from the University of Iowa, and I was also a GA uh, for the football and marketing programs uh, in the athletic department, which was a, a big thrill. Um, so we both finished up um, in 2003, um, and that was, and I was still doing some writing, a little bit of stuff for Lacrosse Magazine, not much, maybe some freelance stuff. Um, it wasn't until um, my wife was in the military, she was in the Air Force, and so she did a residency in California. Uh, and that's really when I got into writing for Lacrosse Magazine because the internet was becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and also, uh, that sort of led to the, me becoming an official for Lacrosse when we got to California. So that sort of started, uh, really started things and I could do things remotely from home. And, you know, it's been pretty much, I've worked out of my house since 2000 and, you know, pretty much 2003. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's been that way. So. That that home work life is uh, is interesting. Uh, the job is always there, and you go to it quite often. I bet. <laughs> yes, yeah, so um, no, it, it took a while to get used to it. Uh, just the distractions and everything like that, because you can you can procrastinate for a long time with all the distractions at home. So you have to really um, focus on it. And and as you say, you have to compartmentalize it because yeah, your your job's always here. 
uh, you can always work on it. And that's a, it can be dangerous at times too. Yeah. Yeah. But I've had many conversations with my wife about that. Just like trying to balance those things. Cause I work from home most of the time as well. Um, so you, uh, so you're at Travis Air Force Base, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, that's just short of uh, Sacramento in a town called Fairfield. It's about, I don't know, maybe 30 to 45 minutes from Sonoma County and uh, about an hour and a half from, from San Francisco proper. And you started writing for Lacrosse Magazine. And, you know, interesting, you, you wrote a story on becoming official. You know, tell us a little about your experience with, uh, you know, Greg Simo, you know, rest in peace and John Boone who trained you and kind of that process of what it was like and how that story kind of came about. Yeah. So it was sort of an enterprise story for me. I contacted the editor and I said, listen, what, there's always this initiative at U.S. across to get more officials. I said, so I said, you know, how about I, I go through the process of becoming an official, maybe demystify it a little bit for people who may be intimidated by it or whatever, because I never played the sport. Um, and uh, knew of the sport, obviously, and had sort of a basic knowledge of it. And I was a basketball official when I was in college, and there's a, the same mechanics are prevalent, uh, especially in the two-man game anyway, uh, right. for basketball and, as well as lacrosse. Um, so, yeah, I, I went through the process. I signed up. You know, I went to the, the, the classroom sessions, took the test, then we went to the mechanics session. Um, and I remember going down to uh, – just to watch a game in, in uh, Monte Vista, Danville, Monte Vista, which is a, you know, a, a great program. Um, one of the, you know, earlier programs that seemed like they adopted the sport and got really good at it. Um, and I went down to that game. I remember, and uh, Mooney and Simo brought me out onto the field for the coin. And I, you know, I was really intimidated, I, you know, being, being out in the field. I wasn't in officials gear or anything like that. I was just sort of watching just to see how they were doing. And uh, yeah, they, I, then afterwards I followed them out and we had a beer afterwards and, um, but they were great. And, and sort of just as I was completing that story, and that's when uh, my wife became done with her residency. So then after that, we moved up to Boise or uh, Mountain Home Air Force Base just outside Boise. And that's really when I started to, to get into officiating a lot more and really enjoyed it. Still writing for the lacrosse magazine. My wife was uh, doing her active duty service uh, at Mountain Home, uh, which is a strike fighter base about 45 minutes southeast of Boise. Um, so I, I had some time. We didn't have kids at that point. Um, right. So it, it allowed for, for different things. But we did. We had our first two kids while we were there. But it, the first time, right when I moved, I had time to go up and officiate in what was called the Treasure Valley Lacrosse League. I don't know if it's still the same there, but it, it was probably eight or nine teams at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, it was that was sort of where I really got immersed in officiating and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, in, in Idaho, you know, certainly there's a need of people who were going to officiate at that time. I mean, I'm sure they still are. It's, uh, you know, lacrosse is just starting to really blossom in that that state. Um, you know, one of the cool things you were telling me, and I think uh, our listeners would love to hear about the the base and the planes and stuff that were f- flying over you all the time. Yeah. So it was a, Mount Home is what's called a strike fighter base. Um, and they had, you know, their jet line or the uh, flight line was right along, you know, the golf course. So if you went golfing, you'd see all these uh, planes with Saudi markings and everything because all the international uh, allies would come and train at this base. And there was a huge bombing range. And uh, it, it was uh, it was also it turned into an AAC base, um, air uh, mobility, uh, I forget the acronyms now. But um, but it was a, it's a very, it was a town of 11,000 people. Um, there was a, a base probably about 10 miles away. Uh, so it was pretty secluded. Um pretty uh, small town living. Boise was great. We would try to get up to Boise as much as we could because I, I still I still think Boise is one of the you know 
top 10 cities uh, that I've been to. Um, so, but yeah, it, it was a cool base. And, you know, the, those guys buzzing over the, a lot of the, the newer airplanes that they're coming out with uh, were there. And it, yeah, it was always a show. You can go down there and just buzz around, watch the planes take off. It was, uh, it was fun. It was, it was a, it, you know, looking back on it, I brought, it's a little bit more romanticized at the time. It was a little dull, but that's, uh, that's what happens. But we, we, uh, we had a good time yeah. there. Sure. No, that's awesome. And, uh, and during this time you're writing for lacrosse magazine, is this when you kind of got into, uh, becoming like the lead on division two and division three? Yeah, I was always sort of advocating for them. And the, you know, obviously the, in the magazine, there's really not that much room because it's not, you know, it's not that much of a draw, you know, the championships, we get notified and things like that. But the, the internet now or the web allowed me to just write what any content I wanted. So I, I had these different subheads. So it allowed me to just write as I wanted to um, and really got immersed in that. It made some, you know, some contacts with the coaches. They knew that, you know, I was calling, you know, get some publicity out there. I was writing some feature stories. So that, that really allowed me to sort of break into it. Um, just having the, the, the run of the U.S. lacrosse website for the small colleges, I could just post whenever I wanted to. Um, and you know, it had little columns, daily columns and things like that, just trying to drive eyeballs. And so, um, yeah, that was really when I got into that. And what happened after that, Division Two, Division Three, I actually asked the question of my boss. I said, why don't we cover this, the MCLA? It seems like this organization is in all the places that we'd love to be, you know, and get the U.S. across flag planted, you know, Bozeman, Montana, or whatever it is. I'm like, why aren't we covering them? Why, why don't – and uh, that's actually when I started I, – I first made a handle and got onto the, the college lax forms because I just – I'm like, we, we should be covering them. And obviously – those who don't know, this is a little bit of a backstory there uh, with the break from U.S. Lacrosse and the uh, Intercollegiate Associates and the uh, there was a break there. And I, mean, I, I don't know if the hard feelings is the right word, but there was a, there was a little bit of tension, uh, excuse me, tension there. Um, so I'm like, well, well, if we get if I cover them and we get one kid who signs up for U.S. Lacrosse, you know, or U.S. Lacrosse membership, I mean, you made the money of me covering it, or you're going down to the championships. So I'm like, look. Why don't we drag these guys into our coverage section? I'll do, I'll do it. Um, and uh, we'll just, get, you know, get them back in the fold, so to speak. Um, and they said, yeah, he just said, yeah, go for it, whatever. You know, they, they didn't really care. Um, so, yeah, so then I, that's when I hopped on the forum, just sort of sent out some feelers. I'm like, just trying to get a feel for what exactly the MCLA was, because at the time I didn't know what it was. And that's sort of my job as the executive director, part of it anyway, is to get people to understand what we're doing. Um, just as I didn't understand back then, there's plenty of people out there that don't understand now. So that's one of my missions is to make sure that people, you know, we're not a beer league. We don't, you know, all the helmets match, you know, uniforms, everything like that. Uh, we play NCAA rules. You know, we've got strong coaches, good programs, you know, well-funded, do a lot of traveling, have a great championship. So that's that's sort of my mission. Uh, and that's what they wanted, you know, when the executive board hired me. Back in 2016, um, that was one of the missions: is to you know get the word out and let people know that we're you know we're a viable league and a viable option for any student athlete coming out of high school or maybe transferring out of a situation that wasn't great for them in college. So that's what was one of the goals. Yeah, I mean, 100. Like uh, exposing what the MCLA is is a big deal. I, I deal with that on almost every single recruiting phone call I have. Is just, hey, you know, we're not we're not a beer league. We care. We want to win. We want to compete. And uh, I think that's a, a big thing. You know, uh, what was the name of your column? You used to write like a weekly column. 
uh, man, I can't remember the name. I was trying to look it up while you were talking. I can't find it. Um, and you used to cross things. I remember looking forward to it every single week. Um, and it was, it was like your summer, you had the midsummer night rankings or whatever. That was always fun. Uh, but then you had another one. Uh, it'll come to me eventually. But it was, uh, it, it was on a Monday. It was usually the, yeah, I'm not sure what it was, the weekend or something like that. But I, then I had a little column called The Morning Jack where I would, you yeah, know. Yeah, that was it. The Morning Jack. That was it. <laughs> so, yeah, I would take on some topics. That actually got me in a bit of a hot, some hot water along the way. But um, this, it's a story for another time. But, yeah, it, it was, uh, I was just trying to get content up there. And, and, and looking back, you know, after I left, across I got a lot of nice notes from a lot of the D3 and D2 coaches you know thanking me for uh, for covering them and it's it's one of those things where division one I, I get it you know that's that's the nature of the beast but there are a lot of uh, eyeballs out there from the smaller schools and there's a lot more smaller schools so that was sort of my pitch to cross magazine in covering these is like this there's just so many eyeballs out there that, that want the coverage and I get the magazine but you know if I can get this up there and it doesn't really impact your front page or whatever um, I said, you know, we might as well do it and, and drive the numbers there. And obviously, you know, after afterwards, the both the mission of Inside Lacrosse and US Lacrosse have kind of changed a little bit. Where there's not, right. it's not really that hard coverage anymore. It's more sort of the generalized coverage. You don't get the sort of the game stories and things like that. It's more of a, a an overarching thing. But that's just the nature of the beast because it's not a lot of money in lacrosse, um, as we know. And there, it's you have to maximize uh, all of your. Um, all of your employees, and you know, right now, you, you know, Cross went through some, you know, with this whole thing with the money sort of not coming in uh, from the membership perspective. You know, they, they have to make some hard choices, and it stinks. But um, hopefully, you'll be able to bounce back and stuff like that. But yeah, covering the small school, school you know, honestly, I enjoyed it. It, it was it was fun for me. Um, so yeah. uh, th- that made it worthwhile. Yeah, well, it certainly uh, improved my eyeballs on the, on that stuff because I, you know, I, I watched it some or paid attention a little bit, but you know, having you cover the MCLA and then covering that stuff, I just read it out of you know curiosity, and, and I, like I said, I always enjoyed that column. So, you know, but back to your story. So you're you're in Idaho. You're kind of you're, you're trucking along here with uh, D two D three and MCLA coverage, and and then you're kind of faced with a decision. You have two kids and your wife has to decide if she wants to make kind of the career of the military or, or get out. And you guys decide to move to Onalaska, Wisconsin. Uh, maybe give the, the listeners a, where is that? So it's, it's right on the river, Mississippi, right on the Minnesota border. Uh, it's right on route 90. Um, and so basically it's, it's a, it's pretty small it's town of 15,000, but it's basically, it's right next to La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, which is uh, one of the, I don't know, maybe the 10th biggest town in Wisconsin. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we settled there. My wife's obviously a Midwesterner. She separated from the military. Um, and so we she looked around, you know, places outside of Chicago and Iowa and Wisconsin. And, and the group here um, in the hospital that she's working for was just a good good fit. The people here are a good fit. It's a great place to raise family. Um, so, you know, we got here with, uh, I think, a three note or a two-year-old and a eight day old when we finally got here. Um, so it was, it, you know, it's been great. And we've been here for 10 years now. Kids are in, in you know, sort of Wisconsin schools, um, but, you know, like everything about the state. So we, we've been really fortunate about it, um, about having it. We've added three more kids since then. So we got a full brood here. Um, but uh, no, it, it's great. And I've been able to work out of the house. I've been able to, you know, one of the things that my, one of my kids gets sick, you know, I can still, you know, bring them home. You know, my wife doesn't have to take a sick day or a day off or anything like that. So it allows me, you know, I pick up the kids, I drop them off in the morning, make them breakfast, dinner, 
everything like that. My wife really does the heavy lifting at the hospital. Um, so it's, it's just been a, a really good fit for me. And it has allowed me, um, you know, to make my transition from just working for U.S. Lacrosse to the MCLA. And I, it, the transition was great and uh, very much enjoyed my time with the MCLA. This whole thing that's going on now, obviously, is devastating, uh, you know, just from the senior perspective, you know, guys, you know, and there's some great teams out there. I do, I, and I'm doing that th- uh, senior thank you. You know, some of the things are pretty poignant that the coaches are writing. And you look at this team, it's like, wow, this team really, really would have been a contender um, if, you know, this didn't happen. It's, it's, so it's heartbreaking. It, it, you know, at some levels it makes me angry. Um, it makes me, you know, sad, whatever. But uh, hopefully you can find a way to, to make it um, the best case for, for all of our student athletes and maybe use some of our resources that we saved this year. Um, going forward to lessen the impact maybe in the future if, you know, hopefully we're, uh, we're back on track in 2021. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of planning, a lot of heavy lifting going on right now just in terms of making sure that we've got all our ducks in a row, that we're ready for any kind of contingency that may occur. Um, so that's the focus of a lot of uh, the board conversations. Um, so that's, that's sort of where we're at. But, yeah, it, it's been great um, working for the MCLA, and hopefully we get back on track next year. Yeah, I mean the the senior stuff. I I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was uh, I've told the story on this podcast before, but we had senior night in front of a bus at midnight, and <laughs> I felt terrible. You know, my, this poor senior is just you know getting this kind of like, well, this might be it, it might not be it. We're not really sure, so we'll kind of talk about you, but uh, no one's here to celebrate it. And you know, it's it's late. The guys want to go to bed, and uh, it's brutal. I felt terrible for him. Um, and you know, we only had one senior on our team, so it, you know, it's, there's only one guy. I can't imagine, you know, some other guys, we, we, we did a podcast yesterday kind of talking about division one recap and, you know, looking at Chapman and Liberty and Georgia tech and all these teams that have tons of seniors who are like, we're poised to make that run, you know, Cal it's, um, Cal Poly. It's, it's a wonder if those teams will, hopefully those guys will come back and we'll get to see them on the field again. Cause it'd be more fun to see that than, than not, but obviously there's budgets and things with that. But, uh, you know, you, you mentioned some of the stuff that the board's doing about, uh, this COVID-19 stuff, you know, maybe what, what do you guys, th- what do you think, or what are the conversations about, uh, plans for the fall and, um, you know, thoughts on what might happen or how the board's going to do it or what they're talking about right now? Well, I think right now we're in a holding pattern. We're basically, um, we're in the process of the starting phases of trying to make a plan. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of it will be uh, confirmed or really talked about at the summer meeting, which will is still scheduled to happen in Austin um, in the first weekend of August. Um, so that, that will be, if, if that happens, a lot of big decisions will be made, but I honestly, I mean, I think things are going to clarify themselves here pretty soon, um, even within, within the month. So, but I think, you know, it's one of the, I forget that old maxim is uh, if you don't have a plan you know, or hope is not a plan. So we need to have a, a plan in place for, you know, the worst case scenario and the best case scenario. So we're not sort of caught with our pants down uh, as we move forward. So I think that's part of what I want to push forward. And I, I know all the board members are thinking about it. We're trying to get our ducks in a row right now in terms of finances and other things. And then we can make some decisions about um, the, uh, the, the fall. But again, as you know, just with the, the nature of the MCLA, a lot of this stuff is going to come down to individual conferences, 
making their decisions, as well as um, institutions making their own decisions. Because, you know, a, a team like Montana, or, you know, in Bozeman uh, may have um, different sort of take on what's going on as opposed to maybe Boston College, which is sort of sitting on a hot spot uh, where they may be, you know, they, they may be more impacted by that. So that's one of the things we have to be aware of, you know, is travel going to be restricted uh, next year because of this? And, you know, do we need to look at maybe some different conference requirements, you know, in, in terms of getting eligible if, if people are still not being allowed to travel great distances or get on planes or if, if a club sports director doesn't want you to get on a plane uh, or won't let you get on a plane, you know, how are we, how are we going to mitigate that? How are we going to um, make sure that all of our membership gets a, a fair shake if the season goes off? So those are the little questions um, that we're, we're asking, uh, or I'm, I should say I'm writing down and sort of want to ask and get answers to them or, or make decisions on them because I think that will be important because each individual institution, as you know, when you talked about, you know, the fifth year, that's really going to be impacted because, uh, you know, some of the state schools, are, you know, maybe Bridgewater State up in Massachusetts, something like that, the tuition is considerably less than maybe a Chapman. Um, so as much as you like to come back or, you know, and maybe you got a guy from Chapman who then wants to go, to a, take a grad year at Colorado. So this is a chance for these, some of these teams that have grad programs, larger school grad programs, um, and a kid with an extra year eligibility, you know, <laughs> there may, yeah. we may we have some super teams here. Um, and again, I think it's going to happen in Division One as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, look what Sour going to Duke. I mean, that's a exact, exactly that, you know? Yeah, so that's one of the interesting things. Obviously, we won't, we won't try to regulate that because that's a, a student-athlete's decision, but it, it'll, it's one of those... Uh, impacts uh, sort of we, we don't really realize them right now but as we get closer to the season we may be like oh man some of these teams uh, are getting unfairly treated by their own club sports well, not unfairly it's not the right word but be, being treated differently uh, or held to a different standard than maybe some of the other schools that maybe not be with the population density or have you know had the impacts that we've seen so far so that'll be something to keep an eye on yeah, for sure. I mean, that's going to be super interesting to see how that all shakes out with all the teams and, and grad students and, you know, kids coming back. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, and as you said, different memberships, um, you know, it's going to be very different uh, across the country and, and from Division One to Division Two. And, you know, it's good to hear that the leadership of the MCLA is talking about this and having conversations so that we are prepared for whatever comes uh, ahead. But, you know, let's... Uh, I thought it'd be good to wrap this up with a, a bit of a hall of fame discussion. You know, there's uh, two guys in this year's class that I'm close friends with and, and Dallas Hartley and Dominic Gomez, both from Sonoma state. And, you know, I thought it'd be fun to talk about this year's class and then maybe also talk about some guys that uh, we think uh, maybe should be in the future. Maybe I can influence the committee. Probably yeah. not, but you can dream. <laughs> no, we feel like we have a great committee um, who, who uh, one of the, when I put it together, and um, asked that these five guys be the, the committee on the committee. It was basically wanted to have guys who knew the early part of the MCLA because a lot of the you know information from back then is a lot of it's anecdotal. We don't have great records, um, just the nature of the beast. Um, you know, keeping track of stuff. We have championship records, but um, individual team records, individual award stuff. A lot of it's got lost from the '97 to 2002. So I wanted to be able to lean on some guys who were there at the time. Um, so, you know, uh, Doug Carl, John Paul, Tony Scazzaro, Doug Horn, and Alex Smith. 
uh, comprises the Hall of Fame. So they, they've done a great job. They, they, they've had some great discussions. Um, I'm, I'm not. A, I'm on the call, sort of pushing the conversation along, but I don't, I don't have a vote on it or anything like that. So we have a spreadsheet that uh, we take nominations from anybody who wants to nominate them with information, put them on the spreadsheet, and then sort of rack them from there. So, yeah, we have some good guys. And so one of the conversations that we have is, you know, how do we advance the timeline? Do we want to stay in one sort of the early five years, the early years of the MCLA and sort of get everybody from that group in first, or do we sort of want to get just the best overall players? And then, you know, another question that I've been bringing up, I was saying, when do we bring in Division Two? Um, you know, Division Two started in 2005. And we've got some really obvious candidates in that. But, you know, when do we open that door? Do we, do we sort of get through all the CSU and uh, early years of uh, Sonoma and everything like that first? Or should we, we start maybe getting in some kids from 08, 09, you know, that sort of middle, you know. And we did sort of this year with Yealy going in. Um, Yealy sort of the first guy who gets into the uh, the 10s, 2010s. So, that's always a discussion. We want to make sure, and have the, you know, in a lot of the, the contributor discussions, you know, bringing up guys who, who've done great work um, that deserve to be uh, recognized for the, whether it's contributing, coaching, or whatever it is. You know, this guy, um, uh, Dave Adams, who is a photographer us early on. Yeah. Um, you know, he's a guy who, who you know, he, he's going from my perspective. You know, he should go in. We'll, we'll see what the committee says. But people like that, recognizing people who, who push the. Um, MCLA along, you know, that's why Sonny uh, has been recognized twice now and uh, Jason Lamb as well. I think the committee felt like these guys really need to be um, recognized in full, you know, and then we had the founders, um, you know, Flip obviously was a natural one in that first class, but now, now we're, you know, getting the BYU kids or, um, you know, with, uh, Steve Austin, you know, and Rex Hardy last year. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they have. And I actually wanted to start that process now because what better time now when everybody sort of, uh, looking for something to do um, or to take yeah. fill some of the time. No, for sure. I, I went back and uh, and was looking through the list of guys, and I started looking, and I was thinking about you know guys that I remember seeing, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I wonder if Pat Bird's on the list yet from Colorado State. Um, you know, and I was thinking about like Mike Allen won back to back championships at Santa Barbara, and then went to Towson, you know, and then and then came back to the MCLA, and he's been awesome and you know, probably someone to be considered. Um, you know, I was thinking about, obviously there's a lot of guys in Sonoma's history, right? Ben Alexander, Cedar Williams, the, you know, that entire defense in the early two thousands. And, um, and I was thinking about more recently, you know, you know, Cal Poly had those three attackmen for, I don't know, it was like Oh nine to 13 or something. Remember the, the Grotman, Schmied, uh, Heberer. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. Those guys were incredible. Yeah, I was thinking about those guys, and you know, interesting. Does the has a committee kind of uh, said if they want to like consider newer guys sooner rather than later? Are they kind of? I mean, because there's a ton of historical players uh, and coaches that should be in for sure. I mean, Scazzaro, JP, you know, Alex Smith, player coach, right? Um, All those guys should probably be in. And are they going to try and balance it out, or do we know yet? Um, that's sort of one of the discussions. And as I said, Ely going in this year uh, sort of opened up another era. So I think with their philosophy, and I would speak to them individually. I don't want to speak for them as a whole or individually, but from what I can take, the philosophy is they want to get the best players, you know, in first. Um, you know, and whether that be um, whether it's from a 97, 98 BYU team or, if, you know, from that Michigan dynasty. 
uh, get the and Yeely's numbers stood out and his presence and his accomplishments. And uh, it, but one of the things that they do put a, uh, a priority on is uh, team success. So uh, players that won championships are you know they're they're that's a, a big uh, a big plus in their um, candidacy. Um, so I think that they want to they wanted to look at that and make sure that these players uh, are, are winning championships at this point. There will be a point where we'll get down to some guys who never won a championship but were you know outstanding players. Um, so you know, and I, I think I, I think that's a great. They, they do have a philosophy. They, they've got sort of a how they want to do it. They're very very thorough. I can assure you, every one of that uh, and what they do. So it's been fun to, to listen to them and get sort of feedback and. Uh, you know, who should be going in and stuff like that. But, you know, there's a, there's a ton of guys, you know, Rob Graff is a guy, you know, you and I know, okay. um, who's done a lot for it. was a pre- past president, um, never won an SLA championship, but, uh, you know, we wonder what Minnesota lacrosse would be like in, I mean, the state of Minnesota without him and what he's done in mentoring oh, all, all of his guys. Yeah. So he's, he's a guy that, you know, may, will come up here shortly, I assume. So um, plenty of guys out there. Yeah, huge thanks to Rob Graff. He he mentored me a ton as a young coach and amazing uh, man, and he did a ton for Minnesota lacrosse and, and Duluth. I, I was always bummed when he left college coaching because I thought that um, he was he was great. And uh, you know, obviously I understood why he had family and kids, and he's certainly been very involved with them, which is awesome. But it would have been cool to see him continue at Duluth and, and make that, that jump um, with that team. They were so close those two years in 07 and 08. Or may, no, I'm sorry. It was 08 and 09. They were so close. They made the quarterfinals and lost in heartbreaking fashion to um, two really good teams. Uh, but uh, but yeah, coming full circle there, right? We started with the last dance, which puts a lot of emphasis on championships and MJ. And, and we finished talking about that same thing with Hall of Fame and the MCLA. And I, I think that's good that the committee's got that because, you know, individual players matter, but it's a team game, right? So team success reflects individual success. So, um, you know, Jack, we're pumped to have you on the, on the pod and, uh, certainly definitely want to do this again sometime. Um, anything you want to say to the, the people out there before we, before we sign off? Well, I just want to let everybody know that we're, uh, we're still working here. This isn't a vacation by any means, uh, for me or anything trying to get, uh, as much, uh, recognition for the, for the league going forward. And I will say this as well. If you have any ideas, and we, you and I were talking yesterday. I'm a big ideas guy, and I can't promise all of them will be implemented or used. But if you ever have any ideas for the MCLA or something like that, uh, I'm always open for it. So if you have something you want to send me or an idea anonymously or otherwise, uh, info at mcla.us. Uh, drop me a line um, if you have anything or just want to uh, you know, find something out or information. Uh, I always want to keep uh, everybody in the loop uh, as best we can. Uh, and obviously, you're co- if you're in the, in the league now, your conference directors are a great resource as well. That's where they, they come, and that's sort of how our, our makeup is. So don't hesitate to contact them as well. All the information is on mcla.us. Yeah, man, we'll include that in the show notes, your your email address and all that stuff. And then uh, and then where can these guys find you on social? I mean, I know, that, I know you want to do some uh, bantering on Twitter back and forth. Uh, well, my, my personal... Uh, Handles just uh, Jack underscore uh, coin, um, uh, but I, I run. I mean, I, we're a one man shop here in the MCLA as well, so I, I run all the socials, everything, and I run the website. Um, so uh, I pretty much uh, do all that stuff. So always, you know, if anybody has a question or anything like that, they want to 
direct message me or, or anything like that. Uh, happy to answer any questions. Or if you want to get information out there, a press release or anything like that that uh, is appropriate, please uh, don't hesitate to send it along. Awesome, man. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Jack. Uh, we really appreciated it. And uh, we'll include all of Jack's info in the show notes. But for all you guys out there, thank you for listening today to Stall Warning. You can follow us on social at 101 underscore LAX on Instagram and 101 Lacrosse on Twitter and Facebook. Have a great day.